Welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, episode number, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. I think we're up to uh, 40 something. Yeah? I think so. Well, we started about this time last year, didn't we? Okay. We, we just started before. We started in August last year. It have to be further. Did we take any time off at all, ever? We did in December, actually. So, we should be close to 50. 50. The big five o. What like a landmark in life, not in numbers of podcasts. It's pretty low. <laughs> I think it's a landmark in life. Yeah, it's definitely a landmark. It in, was a in landmark uh, up until the twentieth century to make it to fifty. Oh yeah. Now it's just that's when you you have your midlife crisis. Yeah. Do you know Joe Rogan's fifty three or something? It actually doesn't surprise me. That's Everyone's insane. always what? Do you think he looks young? Well, I thought he was. His whole demeanor, right? Like he was interviewing another comedian a few weeks ago who was, I think, younger than him, who was doing a special about, oh, you know, when you turn 50 and you got a bad back and the world passes you by. And just comparing him with Joe Rogan, who is uh, has a lot of vitality and seems very energetic. He works out a lot. He has a, I think he's a young man at heart. You know what else? When you're in your 50s, there's two ways you go. You either get into like alcohol and bowling or you get into supplement pills. And I think he's just such a rich man that he just downs thousands probably. I think he does both. Don't you think? I think he he drinks a bit. Oh. Does he? Doesn't he? He's, he in his podcast, he wouldn't strike me whiskey. as it. Usually, uh, okay, right. Yeah, well, I suppose you could be a poly addict. But I'm just always assuming because of how much weed he smokes. It's just such an image in my head of stoners that they're always like, alcohol is really bad for you. And that's why I choose weed. Well, can't they just both be bad for you? That's yeah, why but I it's stay less at home bad. and don't have a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least I'm not an alcoholic. At least I don't drink beer. Unlike those stupid tradies with three investment properties. Well, I suppose, you know what, actually, they're kind of right. It's like a trade-off. Do you care about your body or do you care about your actual temple, your house? That's a good point. And uh, I, I am very pro-weed, but I'm also pro-making fun of potheads. So you've got to do, you Finally, do both. Dude, you know what? Sometimes you just like, you say it how it should be said. I've been struggling with that for years. I've just been making fun of stoners and then arcing up and getting defensive when they get defensive. But I think that's the way to put it. Look. I don't mind that you smoke weed. In fact, I like you. I really like stoners, but you have to let me pay you out. Mm-hmm. This is the two-way street we have here. Yeah. Any uh, any recreational group of people? How would you even define stoners? Because I was going to say ideology, and part of it is an <laughs> it ideology. Dude, it is, yeah. But it's just a group of people that uh, participate in the same recreation all the way up to a full-on ideology. And... <laughs> They're not above being made fun of. That's insane. Yeah. You're right. I mean, come on. They made a religion out of it. Rastafarianism. It's one thing to say, uh, I don't know, a disabled trans black person shouldn't be made fun of. But to be like, oh, you should make fun of stoners. Fuck off. (laughs) I know. You have to draw the line somewhere. And the line is drawn by dread. Well, I don't draw that line, but I at least have more respect for people who draw the line at some of those, uh, you know, oppressed groups. And you know what else? I got to say, in general, stoners are really cool with being paid out. I think it's just uh, you get like five or six comments mm-hmm. that just really great you. It's the same no, thing with vegans, man. It's like I swear it's just oh, like 5% of reckon? them that just ruin it. 
They can't mm. all be, you know, the, the ones that Isaac Butterfield is constantly making videos about. Like, there's, there's got to be some there that are just, you know. I think they laugh. But Instagram they chicks. I think they force the laughter because they know that uh, their whole stereotype is they can't take a joke. But I don't think they genuinely laugh at vegan jokes. Whereas I think stoners genuinely laugh at stoner jokes. Well, they stoners try to, laugh at anything. They, they laugh 10 minutes later yeah. when it registers. <laughs> but do you get that? I don't know if you've noticed this, but every time I go to specifically northern New South Wales, it's always a great night. And it's because it's near Mullumbimby. Everyone there is a hippie. So they're all high, and That's I true. think that like it's it's better than a drunk crowd. It's near Byron, right? Yeah, all well, that kind of area. You think it's better than a drunk crowd? Way better. Would you rather hang out with a group of um, stoners? And and are you participating in in the drugs or the alcohol, or are you just hanging out with a group of either stoners or alcoholics? Oh, I'm just talking about shows. I don't hang out with oh. people, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your social uh, get together for the week? Yes. Oh, well, and, I'm, and priv- I I'm very privileged. Yeah. Proud to be <laughs> your only friend. Oh, <laughs> it is true, man. That's why I'm always just saying things and just be like, can I tell you something, man? <laughs> like on Dark. this medium, mm. it's the only option I have on a very public forum. Yeah, I know. Mm. Always with the mic on. But look, I will say though, I do think that that is when you become a broadcaster. I when think you it's just the friends. point where you just you don't have friends and you're just like, all right, this is in front of me. Time to unleash my inner thoughts. That's mm. uh, other than that, I can't be fucked. Like, how many times? So, hang on, you feel more comfortable unleashing your inner thoughts uh, on a broadcasting medium versus in a private situation with a friend? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know why, but actually, I remember Louis C.K. talking about it when he was on Howard Stern. He was saying the same thing. It's a 21st century confession booth for some reason. I think I'm getting to that point as well. I've probably been a lot more open on the podcasts than I have in real life. I don't know why. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Well, I, I live alone, so it's not like I can really talk to anyone I live with. But I do have friends. Friends, surprisingly. yeah, that's a plus, yeah. Uh, I have a few friends and I open up to them sometimes. But you know what? If you just take into account the last few months, I've probably opened up more on this podcast and my other podcast. Damn, that's a crazy thought. I highly recommend other people do it. I give the exact opposite advice to what the ABC did. Start a podcast. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is about microphones. You know what I think it is? I think that there's just this compulsion in your head that you have to keep the show going. And so you just start getting into this habit of, oh, fuck, I'll just say whatever the fuck's on my mind. And so eventually you run out of things to say and so you just keep drilling in. <laughs> <laughs> so everything you've said is just you forcing something that you otherwise wouldn't have said. Is that what you're trying to say? I think, yeah, you You've just run go out there and then you're just like, say. wait, let me justify what I just said. And then you just have to keep going and going. And then it's just, um, it's it's 20% actually articulating your opinions and 80% defending yourself defending from, your from uh, Twitter trolls. Yeah. <laughs> That's the life we live. It's fantastic. Wouldn't <laughs> trade it in for anything. But how have you been? What's uh, what's been happening? Anything exciting happening in the last few days? 
What have I got coming? Vengeance video. Vengeance. So not just a uh, a rebuttal video, a vengeance video. Oh yeah, no. I'm Are just, you live streaming? Is, I'm gonna try and cancel murder? this man. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. Yeah, a digital murder. Hmm. And it's worse because in this day and age, essentially what you've done is you've murdered their spirit and they're still alive to witness it. Usually when a murder happens, it's over. <laughs> That's the end of your suffering. Do you think you'll ever get to a point, though, if you're just destroying so many people online that people will just think, oh, Friendly Geordie's destroyed another person. The venom in it will decrease. Yeah, well, that's Ben Shapiro's life, isn't it? Now he just gets to that point of saying something really stupid and turning into a meme, and that's what he's known for now, is saying meme-worthy shit, whereas he used to be yeah. the ultimate clear of cook. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it's not known as that anymore, right? When you put the lisp in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think to his audience he is. Um, but I think he got don't found you think out. His audience was bigger before. Yeah, well, was that was when insular. people people respected his uh, uh, his opinions on gender, basically, and his um, criticism of the trans movement. But then when you heard his other opinions, it's not like they weren't bad, but they, they weren't anything new or exciting. Yeah, it was just like listening to like a Fox News analyst. It is funny when people on the, on the Christian right are like, oh, we need, we need logic and facts and truth. By the way, I feel the love of Jesus in my heart. Yeah. And you're like, dude, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like, which one is it? <laughs> Yeah, that is think, a really weird mix. Do you think that's a true statement? What? If someone says, I feel the love of Jesus in my heart, do you, do you think that can be defined as, as true? Because yeah. it's true for them. It's just, that is the 90s equivalent of now saying, I'm speaking my truth. You really are saying the same thing. It's just the lameness has switched from one phrase to the other. And now I think... I feel Jesus in my heart. No one actually seriously says surely, unless unless oh, you're do. from Georgia. Huh? I think they do. Really? Yeah. You go to Man, a church. Some people live sad lives. Well, no statistically, offense. Christians yeah. are very happy. <laughs> yeah, I know, Probably I know. a lot happier than us. Yeah, I know. They give a lot to charity. Yeah, you're right. They, they just um, sit there thinking about what they're grateful about their whole life while we just sit there being like, you know who else sucks? This person. That's <laughs> true. We uh, <laughs> occupy a lot of our mental space with negativity and cynicism. <laughs> so maybe we need the love of Jesus and we should stop uh, you know, being so condescending. Yeah, we should, but it's, it's also pretty funny. habitual. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's our job to be condescending, isn't it? Well, to, to criticize. What else do we have? That's our <laughs> skill. Yeah, we're not good at uh, bringing people up. We're good at no. cutting people down. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I... We've already done a podcast on this topic, but I want to further explore charisma. Mm. And the reason being, when when you first brought up charisma, I think it was last year, and I was a bit... Look, I was... I was interested in the discussion but i was a little bit confused why you were so enamored and and interested in something which i perceived as banal as simply banal as charisma which i just perceived as you know stage presence or uh, excitement or something enticing about one's personality but no i've 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 come to realize that 
it is a vital skill. It is probably the the one of the biggest indicators of emotional intelligence, and it can get you f- far further than just intelligence. Way further. It really can. And I this is you know what the catalyst for this was. Yeah. I wanted to do a impression of Russell Brand going back to our cynical selves, because uh, I've always just thought he's just a pseudo spiritual guru idiot that speaks very eloquently but doesn't actually say uh, anything of substance so i started watching his videos i watched one or two and i was like okay well he made good points there and then before i knew it i had watched about 10 or 15 and was like man this guy speaks some truth this guy, I, I, I agree with a lot of what he's saying. And now I don't really want to impersonate him because my impression was always <laughs> just going to be cutting him down in some way, just doing the whole life. And if we look at the, the structures and the systems and the white patriarchy that exists in the world today, we can understand that our consciousness needs to be expanded. And then it would cut to him being like, oh, I'm, and one time I was in Essex and a little girl put her, her tongue in my bottom and it felt really good right and that was basically going to be my whole impression what's wrong with that i think he'd like that i know he would but that's because he's a very spiritual uh very present man who would understand that me creating a scathing impression of him would just be more more likely than not my ego firing up uh which would be an indication of me essentially being jealous of his success and the amount of women that he has banged, which is just, I'm sure is just insurmountable. I still might do the impression. We'll see. <laughs> but he was doing a video on charisma <laughs> and he he uh, he said a quote at the start. It wasn't his quote. It was someone else's quote. I can't remember who. And the quote was, charisma is the ability to convince and persuade people without a logical argument. And that's a very simple quote, but I've been thinking about it for the last two or three days. And it's a scary concept when you think about it. Can you go through it one more time? So charisma is the ability to convince and persuade people without any semblance of logic or a logical argument. There's no fat in that. So it's just you can entice people to your way of thinking without actually being correct. Hmm. And then, and, and when you actually think about the implications of that, that is a very scary thought. Mm. Mm. But a very powerful tool to have. Do you? <laughs> what do you think about? I mean, you've already given your thoughts on charisma in the previous podcast, but man, it's something I really want now. <laughs> I want to be very charismatic. It's something I want to work on. I don't think I'm. Not charismatic, but uh, when I look back on some of these podcasts I do, I'm so obsessed about saying the right thing and making the most precise argument as possible that I get caught up in just uh, you know jumbling my words and overthinking exactly what I want to say that I come across as almost insecure, right? Well, whereas really, if you just speak with uh, enough confidence and enough uh, enigma you will be more convincing than the person who's actually correct. And it made me think about a few podcasts ago when you were talking about um, climate scientists who are coming up against uh, fancy lawyers in a debate. And the lawyers have a lot of charisma. 
Whereas to be a scientist, to be um, in in that discipline, in that general field, I'm not saying you can't be charismatic, but it's not your job isn't dependent on that. No. It's about being very logical mm. and rational. Um, so it makes a lot of sense that those uh, those lawyers, where to be a lawyer, well, you have to be charismatic. You definitely have to be convincing. They're going to win an argument even if they're wrong. Yeah. And in and fact, that's a scary half of concept. their job is to argue a case that is wrong. And that's a that's a that's a really confronting idea that humans can be drawn to someone who is simply uh, charismatic and appealing for whatever reason that may be, rather than the person who is actually correct. Mm. I mean, that's the story of history in many ways, right? Yes, leaders who are just charismatic that led uh, nations and and tribes down very dangerous paths. Mm. How do you know? How do you think you know if 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 you're listening to someone and you think, "Wow, I'm drawn to this person." Do you think there's a discernible way to ask yourself, "Am I drawn to them because they're correct, or am I simply drawn to them because um, of their allure and their charisma?" It's one word that is very overused by our generation, but it's vibe. <laughs> All comes down to vibe, man. I think they're right. Yeah, and I mean, look, yeah. as we all know, there's a lot of there's a lot of X's in the mind of a male of how to attract a woman. But I think that we all understand that charismatic men are going to get more women. We do understand that point, and I think that you know when it's always surfies and stoners that are saying it's all about vibe. Hmm. And who gets the most puss? Surfies and stoners. They okay, understand but- that thing. They're, they're picking up on energy better than we are yeah but you know how when it comes to those sorts of guys that are successful at picking up or uh are the life of the party they attract a lot of people in that realm right but then a lot of people will also criticize them you know certain people would observe the man who is uh appealing to a few girls and say this guy's just a douchebag or whatever so how do you be charismatic enough to appeal to everyone? I suppose you're right. That is really specialized charisma. Because what we're doing here, right? We're broadcasting. We're um, pub- We have a public profile. We had. A- we have a media presence. And what I did previously was character acting, essentially, right? I was portraying characters. So the need to be charismatic was. It really wasn't even necessary because I wasn't even being myself. So I'm not even trying to be someone who is appealing and alluring to the audience. I'm trying to be someone or something that uh, is laughable to the audience. Mm. So it's not something I've really worked on or or thought about. But it's a close relative. Performance and charisma, Mm. there has to be something linked there because you're still making an audience pay attention to you. Look, what I'm saying is they're at least in the same family. Yeah, but I'd still say there's quite a difference between, especially character acting, because take some of the best character actors or take some of the more recent ones, right? You know, you Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat. Borat is not a charismatic character. No. He's 
he's an entertaining character. Mm. He's a character that is specifically designed to be laughed at and not with. Whereas the charismatic person, people would be laughing with them. And there's a big, there is a big difference there. Because when you're laughing at someone or something, that person is way below you. But when you're laughing with someone, it's an intrinsic kinship and understanding that's occurring. You're definitely right about that. But the thing is, like, man, I can think of things that are so much more opposed than performance quality and charisma. Sure, I'm not Say saying... Say, for that... instance, shyness, just as a real obvious example. Sorry, shyness. Shyness. Shyness? Oh, shyness, shyness. I thought you were talking really about a, a profession language, or something. <laughs> <laughs> What's a shyness? Like a lioness, but a shy... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That didn't register. I don't know what the... I don't... Look. (sighs) There's an alluring factor to charisma. And it's more... In other ways, like the the old word for attractive, which just used to mean kind of like a magnet. You were magnetic. Exactly. And it's even more potent than intelligence. Yeah, because it's just humans are emotional creatures before they're logical creatures. Yeah. Like you just do something for an emotional reason and then you mm. justify it later on in your head. And that's the reason. But you, look, I, you're just going to have to go back to Trump. Recently, I saw the uh, Democratic, whatever the fuck it's called, platform or whatever, um, and the Republican convention. convention Democratic yeah. convention and the Republican convention. I saw. Joe Biden was on there. And the thing is, and this is all I think that Joe Biden actually needs to win the election, which is just he, he doesn't make you – there isn't this visceral hatred that you have for, say, Hillary Clinton where you're just like, you, you, something off about you. But with Joe Biden, you have this feeling of, yeah, he's okay. But I think I watched about maybe five minutes of his speech and then turned it off. And then when Trump was on, I watched the whole hour. Mm. Yeah, he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have the enigma. Even th- that he had even four or five years ago. Because I've heard some of his speeches from uh, just uh, the 2012 vice presidential debate, for example, and he was very charismatic. Mm. But the age has caught up with him. Mm. But compared to Trump, definitely lacking. And then what you said in that other podcast, which is just basically correct, is that charismatic candidate basically always wins. Mm-hmm. There is things now because there's also elections are also very mathematical now. But yes, has a huge advantage at least. Massive advantage, especially because you're front and center, particularly in a presidential s campaign, which I guess is just what all elections are now across the globe. So you're really just looking at two people and yeah. you're deciding between those two. Yeah, and you in think- that instance, the charismatic one usually wins. You think about people who are drawn into cults. Or any other sort of what any any other sort of weird fringe ideology, they almost always have a very very charismatic leader. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So the classic example, I guess, is uh, Jonestown. 
Sorry, what's... Jim Jones, I think he went to Brazil. I can't remember. Somewhere in South America. Oh, and he made everyone kill himself, that one? Drink poison. Yeah, I've heard of that one. But as I was saying before, there was something just about Charles Manson. They really... And you, you did give the counter of the fact that, like, you know, Alan jo- uh, Alex Jones, for instance, mm. you draw mm-hmm. attention to him the whole time. There is definitely that performance factor there that I'm, I, I still think is just like it's closely related, but as you're saying, it's not the same as charisma because it doesn't have this attractive quality to it. You're not lured in by the person. Having said, I know I did say that, but I would backtrack to a certain degree in saying that in the realm of um, passionate political discourse, that sort of a hardened, unapologetic, tell-it-like-it-is type character you could make the argument that they are charismatic in that environment. It really then, yeah. then you just get into semantics about how do you even define charisma? Okay, well, definitely an element of charisma is confidence. Uh huh. And that is something that characters like Alex Jones definitely have. They definitely have confidence. But the thing is, you know what else as well? When you are listening to him, like, okay, the only Joe Rogan podcast I've listened to from beginning to end is him interviewing Alex Jones. This is a whole four and a half hours of it. Mm. And it is because of him. He is the drawing element there. Mm-hmm. So you are, in a way, attracted to what he's saying. Do you think a reason for that is because he's so insanely passionate about what he's saying that we are emotionally drawn to to someone who is so convinced of their own righteousness that we can't help but feel that magnetism. Yeah. But there's also a lot of other things that are surrounding it. He's also got an exceptional command of the English language. Mm-hmm. So he's able to animate ideas in your head. Mm-hmm. So it's not just emotional, although that is a huge component of Alex Jones. He's got language on his side. He's talking about interesting subjects. But then again, not really, because other people could be talking about that subject. A lot of things that he talks about are the same things that, you know, state senators would be discussing and no one would be listening to what they're saying. Mm. He's passionate. He's Those are definitely mm. two elements to it. There's People are drawn to passion. When you speak about something passionately, whereas if you're logically examining something... No one wants to do that. No one wants to listen to someone very rationally and logically examining a subject, trying to understand every side of the argument, really unpacking the concepts and getting to some semblance of truth versus the person who is just passionately on board with one idea embedded in that in in that conversation people are much more drawn to that you're right which is again is a, is a scary thought yeah no it is but there's all look so no one like scientists yeah i heard einstein was very he was a party boy maybe that's why he's 
such a famous scientist. Maybe he wasn't even that good a scientist. Just able to sell his ideas. <laughs> he was because he was drunk a few times. People were like, maybe yeah, he does equal MC squared. I don't even think that's too far from the truth. <laughs> I mean, look, yeah. Do no, you the know thing a is... bit about the? Do is there more you would you know about Einstein than just a sort of rudimentary general knowledge? No, apart from the usual that he was clearly a genius, which means that you would imagine that his brain would be acting at a higher level than others. So he's probably mastered science and emotional intelligence. He's probably one of those Renaissance men that was just yeah. very good at a lot of things. He was just highly intelligent. Mm. The so po- had polymath, enough... right? That's the yeah, that's yeah. The term. But the other thing is that Trump... Trump isn't... Pa- I wouldn't say he's passionate. Oh, he's passionate. Do you think? Yeah. Because he always seems kind of a bit... He is very like, passionate about his belief in himself and his visceral hatred for the fake news and the mainstream media. And a man, if someone was acting honorably or at least in their opinion as honorably as possible and doing the absolute best they could and they were being unfairly criticized by a major media institution, that is probably how they would react. Don't you think? If you were truly uh, living up to your ideals and other people in positions of power or the the media at large were not just criticizing you, unfairly criticizing you, you would be adamantly and... uh, very passionately against them. Yeah. So how is it not passion, the way he talks about? Because I was just trying to compare everything. it to say like Alex Jones, who is, it's, it's an unfair comparison because he is the most passionate man on earth. Yeah. I think maybe I'm just confusing passion with yelling. Well, it's a, it's, it's a one conception of, it's a part of passion, isn't it? It is a part of passion. To me, Donald Trump comes back as kind of, he comes, not reserved isn't the right word, but in control of the situation. Don't you think that in all the debates, he wouldn't, if Alex Jones was in that situation, he kind of just like blowhorn through yeah, and not let anyone else speak. But Trump would just sit there and be like, yeah. No, Jeb, you're not tough. And then just go away from the mic for like a bit and then come back in and just be like, yeah, you would say that. Like, and then that's, that <laughs> it's like a different. Trump utilizes humor a lot more than Alex Jones. Alex Jones does not utilize humor, no, does he? No, he doesn't. In fact, he doesn't utilize it at all. At all. Okay. Trump, commi- I mean, Joe's even made that observation. Trump is, in many ways, shows. Oh, yeah. Um, aspects of a comedian. Mm. <laughs> a serial cheater. <laughs> That's definitely one yeah, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> A sex pest. Definitely a commit fitting, ticking all the boxes. <laughs> Cries like a baby when anyone criticizes him. Oh, oh true. He is a comedian. He is, a comedian. <laughs> he is 100% a comedian. I like Desperately how that was seeking thing. approval. He should be a stand-up co- comedian. Well, I mean, he is. He is a stand. Yeah, he basically is most famous on earth. Yeah, 
maybe this is he's uh, ushering in a new era where uh, the next major politicians will all be will all have come from a background of stand up comedy. Look, I've always been saying it that they're very closely related. It's just all oratory. Yeah, I think. If you look at it, yes, okay, there is there is definitely an energy that is emanating from somebody who is charismatic that makes you want to pay attention to them. <clears throat> confidence is obviously a clear element of it. This is so basic to say. It's definitely there's an element of confidence. And I suppose that's what we're talking about when we're saying that some people are charismatic in certain environments than others. And that comes back to this old self-help concept. There's a difference between core confidence and situational confidence. Whereas some people just walk mm-hmm. through life with ease mm-hmm. and they can go through in any situation and they kind of have this, it'll be okay at the end of the day attitude. In fact, when I was talking about politicians with a couple of my friends, if you think about the ones that you do seem to like and turn towards... It's the ones that emanate that vibe, if I may, that it'll all be okay at the end of the day. They instill an enthusiasm and a and a sense of comfort. A sense of comfort is that's tied into it. Yeah, yeah. I, and the I, comfort makes I don't know. It just comfort allows you to hang around to listen to the person long yeah. enough to be drawn into them. So that's. Probably the base. It does make you think, though, doesn't it? Because if I relate it to what I do uh, with the media landscape the way it is, I really try to go to extreme lengths to analyze both sides of an argument in any given discussion, almost always. But it would serve me better to just choose one of those sides and speak with an intense passion about that? Uh, It depends what you're trying to do in that media landscape. If you want to be a loud mouth like Alex Jones or me or something, yeah, that would definitely work. But Mm -hmm. if you want to... It really depends what you're trying to achieve, man. Because if you're trying to be like an interviewer or whatever, then... You don't want that. You want someone who's very measured and can see everybody's angles. But the interviewer is never the most charismatic person. The interviewer's job is to bring out the charisma in someone else. If you want to be the the person people are drawn to, mm. you need charisma. An interviewer is no, interviewers can definitely have charisma. Let me think of some interviewers. I don't know. Ryan Seacrest came to mind. He's a charismatic man. Let's think about the most charismatic in Australia. Here you go. Osher, he's pretty oh, he's pretty charismatic. No, it's clearly Kyle Sanderlands. Like a lot of his show is interviewing celebrities. Actually, that's a good point, and he is very in many of those exchanges, he is much more charismatic. charismatic and he holds the gravitas in the situation. Yeah, you're right. It depends what you want to really do. But if you want to get attention and if you want to uh, draw people towards you, then 
charisma is a major part of that. Yeah, if you want to draw people, att- if you want to draw people to, yes, charisma is. In fact, I think it might be the. Unless, of course, you know, you have that title leadership where people just have to pay attention to you. There's that. Yeah, but I guess but how do you get to that? It, how do you get to a position of unless it's a birthright, you don't climb a hierarchy like that unless you have charisma. I mean, it does happen. You can just be extremely competent, but if you have charisma, true, you you usually go further up. Yeah. In fact, actually, there's a book about that that's. I can't even remember what it's called now, but it was pretty much just talking about how introverted people are actually better leaders than but no extroverted one, people. But they no one trust them or up. vote yeah. for them. <laughs> how different would, would would the world potentially be if we always voted for the more introverted, yeah, logical person? We don't. And they were also saying that extroverted people—that's the other thing—is why they make worse leaders, but usually are leaders, is because they're much more certain in themselves. So Maybe you what you need is the uh, face of leadership to be the extroverted, charismatic, passionate leader, but behind the scenes, the person really pulling the strings is the uh, introvert. Yes, the introvert, deep thinking, logical, true leader. Which, let's be honest, that's usually what happens in most political landscapes. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you know what? The classic example of that would be is George Bush Jr. and Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney had zero he- charisma. Yeah, and he ran the show, right? Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, I'm going to say the elements of it are certainty, comfort, mm-hmm. likability. Being present. The thing is, though, this is why I think that you're saying that Alex Jones doesn't qualify as charismatic because he doesn't inspire comfort. But also at the same time, after he a while, when you get does. used to him... I think it just it, virtually anyone that you hang out with long enough, unless they're a real freak, you start feeling comfortable with. And in his audience, he inspires comfort. Yeah. Comfort in the collective belief that the globalists are taking. I don't know. I, I, I don't watch enough of him to summarize his views enough. Well, that's pretty much his views. Uh, the globalists are taking over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I suppose he does, yes, okay. Well, I think he yeah. attracts people that are looking for a, a reason why they are suffering. And he gives them that reason and therefore instills a sense of comfort in them, but also instills a sense of um, wanting to fight back, an urge for vengeance. Well, you know what, actually? I was talking to a school friend of mine a while back, and he was saying... And I think he's 100% right. But he was super social intelligent at school. He was always the one who got lots of women. Everyone thought he was a legend. Just, again, that guy, the phrase that I keep using, walks through the world with ease. I think that Mm. he is charismatic in the sense that he goes into any situation, makes everyone feel comfortable. He leaves. Everyone's like, "That guy's awesome." Mm. What was he? What were you talking to him about? We were talking about the differences in how we fit into the social structure at school, and he was saying that he was always doing, and that was the word he used again. Yeah, I was managing energies. 
You know, like if somebody walked into the room and they were just like all high and zippy and stuff, then he'd be like, yeah, and get all zippy. But if like someone was just down, he'd be like, what's up, man? He just matched their energies. Mm. He was always doing that throughout all of high school. And then he was saying the way that you fit yourself in is you just made like a massive spectacle of yourself all the time. And I think that's what actually you're saying. And I don't know, like it's just like the the difference between the performer and the, the charismatic character is this person is sort of distracting everyone from the fact that they feel uncomfortable and this person is making everyone feel comfortable. Mm. That's a great way of putting it. It is. I do agree that there are interrelated ideas there because they both uh, have confidence and uh, enthusiasm. If you're talking about theatre performance, stage presence, things like that, they definitely have aspects in common. But it's what's going on inside that's different, isn't it? One's coming from a a need to seek approval and the other is not coming from any need. They're just they're just being themselves. You know what, actually? No, dude, it's it's actually even better than that on their end. You know what they're doing? This person the, the performer is seeking approval mm-hmm. and the charismatic is giving approval. Mm. They're dispensing the approval because they're the one that's going into the situation and they're like, you're uncomfortable. I'm going to make you comfortable. Wow. Which is another way of just saying you deserve comfort. So within themselves, they already have the social authority. They've instilled in themselves the social authority to dispense social authority out. So it's, in many ways, it, it's quite internal then. I mean, I'm sure some people are born predis- predisposed to be very charismatic and due to environmental factors, it can uh, either inhibit or uh, exaggerate those qualities. But if a large component of it is internal, you can manipulate and increase the ability to be charismatic within you. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, there was this expression that I remember from Pickup, which was, men who get women are the giver of good feelings. The giver of good feelings. They're dispensing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not always a bit. I mean, I, I do so, think they're very. That's, it doesn't get related, close. Yeah. It doesn't. Like, performer <laughs> is more distantly related than, like, pussy magnet and charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> and then, like, I mean, like Alex you, I can't imagine Alex Jones being a chick magnet. I can't imagine it. No, definitely not. I can imagine a lot of women being very devoted to him, though. I can imagine... Well, he is. He's a cult leader, essentially. Yes. But this is the whole thing yes. is actually I was listening... My girlfriend was listening to some actor neat. from um, Charmed, I think. And she grew up in a cult. And her stories are just horrendous. It actually sounds like a really interesting book. But she had this great expression, which was that every everything's a cult. Yeah. I've been thinking about that as well. It really is. Yeah. And religions are just cults that are more successful. Mm, mm. And the nation, the concept of the nation is a cult. Everything's a cult. It's a yeah. uh, it, it, We're just all conforming to these uh, abstract and irrational ideas and have agreed upon them. Mm. A relationship is a cult mm. because you're both just uh, adhering to these abstract rules that you've just created. There's no real... Uh, ob- you know, empirical truth about 
this person loves this person. It's just yeah these parameters and 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 structure that you've created. That's actually a really good fucking way of putting it, man. That's that's a relationship in a nutshell. And people who are in cults, they're not aware they're in cults. They're like, damn, how good is drinking virgin's blood? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Oh, no, but you know what else happens do. as well? A lot of the time, there people. there's a lot of... This is what she was saying. Lots of people wanted to leave that cult, but they didn't. So they, like they a had the feeling... Yeah, Just it is like, like a, a relationship. Fucking, it is. Because you get... You're right. It... Uh, Offers You've kind and provides of convinced some yourself. sort of psychological need intrinsically that you just do not want to detach from. Yeah. Even if other needs that were previously being met stop being met, there's just a very deep connection that is, I can only imagine, incredibly hard to to detach from. Well, there's this excellent book. In fact, I do highly recommend you read it. It's called Fantasy Bond. Okay. And it is pretty much about that, which is that just like, uh, I, I guess if, if you were to marry it up with the ideas that they're giving out in Sapiens, which is just it's something that I'd never thought about before, but it's always just in the back of your mind. It's kind of just like what you were saying about relationships with just these abstract rules and whatever. But the idea in Sapiens was that Homo sapiens were able to make bigger tribes than Neanderthals because they could imagine things. Yep. Had the ability to think abstractly. Had the ability to think abstractly, and so their tribes could, you know, balloon over 150 easy. Whereas Neanderthals could be, I can't remember, like 40 or 50. And then... Not even that. Weren't they quite solitary? I don't know. I can't even remember now. It was a while ago. So, I don't know. As usual, I'm just, like, spouting rough facts. They were bigger, stronger, smarter than us, but because we had the numbers, Mm. took them down. Yeah. And... That's right, Neanderthals. It does make you feel pretty boss that we beat all the hominids. But except for the little midget ones that lived in Indonesia, I'm sad about them. And then there's Neanderthal DNA and Homo erectus DNA. uh, One of them, yeah. Um, Europeans have about 1% to 2% Neanderthal DNA. And then uh, East Asians have 1% to 2%, I think, Homo erectus erectus DNA, I think. Yeah. That's me. Got a bit of got a bit of that Homo erectus in me. <laughs> yeah, because that's where those little mini Homo erectus were. It's still in Asia. <laughs> Just laughing at Homo erectus. <laughs> that's a funny name. <laughs> so, so good. I got a you Homo what, erectus inside of me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> never yeah, that's grow a up. Lomon. I never grow up. I do like that phrase for up. like a semi lobber. A homo I've erectus. got a one to two percent Homo erectus. I haven't heard that. That's great. No, well, I just, you're just kind of marrying it. Yeah, there you go. And so then he was saying that if you combine that with what Fantasy Bond is talking about, it's pretty much what you're saying there, where in a relationship, those same ideas that hold you together as a tribe or a nation mm. are happening on an individual level, and pretty much what he's saying and it's a very confronting book is that no one really is in a relationship with anyone look there's some people that are in more honest relationships than others and there's other people that are in more deluded relationships than others you're in love with an idea you're in love with an idea projection yeah i have a joke about um love being a mental illness 
Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. Yeah. And you know what? You're not wrong. But that's why if you're very charismatic, you can get a lot of people to fall in love with you. Which is what pimps do, right? Yeah, I wouldn't know, but uh, I'm sure that would be one requirement for being a pimp. Selling, you know what? Because like, there's no need wait, for a pimp, is it. there? A girl could just yeah. be an individual sex worker, but a pimp comes along and is like, yo, give me 20% of the tap. Yeah. And then she's like, well, I'll why? I'll give you protection. Because I'll, I'll give protect you, you baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pimps are like the real estate agents of the vice world. They are, aren't they? They fucking are. They're just not, not necessary. Unnecessary middlemen. Jesus, cool real estate agents. And don't you think real estate agents think they're pimps in their minds? And it's like, no, yes. dude. And then, and yeah, <laughs> I have more respect for a pimp than a real estate agent. Way more. <laughs> Way less destructive. <laughs> <laughs> and you're dealing with a, you know what? Comparing um, sex to shelter, I think selling sex comes with much more, uh, it's, it's a less elastic product like yeah. no matter what people are going to want that so they don't have to convince too many people they just got to be like yeah man this the price yeah. whereas real estate agents like oh look we can i can take two percent or you know it's negotiable but you know what at the end of the day just like how neil strauss now does seminars to huge sales companies and just uses the principles of the game yeah it's not that it's different. You know what? Like, there's like it? a fucking... Every pimp says that. It's just like, the way I see the world, there are only two types of people. There's pimps and there's people getting pimped. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> and like they always well, say that. Wrong. It's just like, I just went into the legitimate game, but I bought the principles from the streets. And yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> they're not wrong, are they? No, they're not wrong. But they... Dude, pimps Fuck. are super charismatic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think as soon as a pimp starts speaking, you watch them on YouTube. Okay. I haven't gone down a rabbit hole watching pimps on YouTube yet. So I'll read that book. And then when I'm done with it, I'll watch some pimp videos on on YouTube. (laughs) They have something that they call the golden mouthpiece. And that's why I think everybody on earth is allured by pimp talk. Hmm. Damn. And they're not wrong. There are people who are pimping out or getting pimped. If you're getting pimped, it means you you look up to someone, right? You 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 deify someone else. You know what I think they're basically saying? And they're fucking right. Like, think about Trump. Dude, as we were saying before, right, the core of con man is confidence man. So now it's got a disparaging phrase to it, but it's like propaganda. Once propaganda was a neutral phrase, now it's got a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. But con man didn't necessarily used to be negative. And that is what Donald Trump is. That's what a pimp is. Well, that's another fucking element to it, isn't it? Like, it, Okay, I'm, I'm taking it back. Comfort might not be the bedrock of charisma. It's definitely confidence. It has to be confidence. I don't know because you can. Um, there's a lot of confident people that don't. There's definitely a correlation between confident people and charismatic people, but I think it, you can be confident and lacking self worth, 
you can be confident uh, getting on stage and speaking, but really think lowly of yourself. And But that's the difference between core confidence and situational confidence. Yeah, but I think charisma is more dependent on core confidence. Yes. Which and core confidence I would just define as self worth. Mm, okay. Do you think there's a difference between self worth and core confidence? No. I think they're I mean, I basically think they're synonymous. Which means that you're kind of finding comfort in your... Okay, well, again, it just goes back to the thing of like being the giver of good feelings, but being confident in yourself... Well, yeah, being comfortable enough in yourself that you feel that you have feelings to give over. I guess like a good metaphor is just imagining it as like your cup of water is full and you're just pouring water into other people's cups. Mm as opposed to other people that come into life with an empty cup. Yeah, every interaction you have, you leave that person feeling more positive than they were before. I think that's a good... Uh, that was something Russell Brand said. And look, he is a very charismatic man. A lot of celebrities, when they go on those uh, the talk shows, they're extremely charismatic. I think if you are too stoic, you can't... You then lack charisma. Because stoicism is all, well, I'd say it's quite tied into being logic and, sorry, being logical and disciplined. Whereas the 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 really hardened stoic man is not as charismatic as the the guy who could also be very good looking, but is fun and charming and witty. Those are the sort of qualities. That define charisma. So the balance is trying to be, uh, trying to be disciplined and get into a routine and think about things um, in the future and and sort of plan things when you need to, but then turn that off when it's necessary live in the moment and be charismatic. It would be great if you could have your charismatic self and your logical forward-thinking self and you could just switch between the two. Wouldn't that be great? God, that would be really nice. But I think that that kind of just happens with age. I mean, that's exactly what Bill Clinton was very notorious for, was he was able to decompartmentalize very well. Mm. So he could go out, talk about Monica Lewinsky sex scandal allegations or whatever, and then he could go into another meeting and talk about the economy. He was just able to just go from that emotional state to being really sober in a second. Mm. And so that's... that's. I don't think that really has actually anything to do with charisma. I think that charisma is okay. the energy that you're just emanating, but I think that that's just like a life skill. Yeah. It's just being decompartmentalized. But that you could almost say it's situational charisma. So... He's able to manifest a different style of charisma based on what's necessary for the environment. So when giving a press conference about Monica Lewinsky, he turns on one one aspect of his charisma and then he goes into the meeting with the other powerful people, whoever they were, and then it's a different type of charisma. Mm. It's not so much... A, what you want to do with the press conference is, is instill comfort and and confidence and assuage people's uh, doubts about you. Assuage, is that the right word? I, think so. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah. then what you want to do in the uh, in the meeting is be quite headstrong and really stamp your foot down and say and and be a leader. You want to have a commanding presence, and I suppose always in charisma you have a commanding presence. You never don't. So I would analogize saying, you know, when you, do you find this when you go on stage, right? Like I, more often than not, I mean, it's just been drilled into me. I've done it so many times. I'm very confident on stage. I'm quite charismatic on stage, usually. Uh, and I have a magnetism about me and a great stage presence. People are drawn to, to me and my performance and the whole performative aspects of uh, the show. As soon as I get off stage and start interacting with people, getting photos, it's very different because, one, I'm just coming off from this adrenaline high and this rush of being on stage, so I'm still, the adrenaline's pumping and I'm sure the heart rate's going quite quickly. And then you're suddenly doing this really interpersonal um, connection with people and it's a different kind of confidence and charisma needed in that situation. That's something I actually am more, funnily enough, right? I I doubt myself more and I'm less secure when I'm interacting with fans one-on-one versus actually being on stage in front of a thousand people. How crazy is that? No, well, because I get the same thing, but I understand that like to most people that is weird. Yeah. But... That's performance. Whereas if you're interacting mm, with someone okay. one-on-one, that's charisma. No, you can you can be charismatic as a performer. You can be. And, and I just want to go back to what I said earlier was when you're a character, you want to be confident. You're being someone else. So it depends what you want to achieve with that character. If you're portraying a very charismatic character, then you want to be charismatic, obviously. But if you're portraying a more comedic uh, or or a a sort of parody type of character, then, well, you probably don't want to have charisma there because you want people to laugh at the character. But if you're just being yourself on stage, as I am with with stand-up, yes, I'm confident, But that's the but, whole thing. You can, you can, mm. you can have situational confidence there. Yeah. Well, but the thing they, is, they like, if, really you, if you have like a different feeling, uh, like related, true, yeah, true core confidence would be to just walk into either of those situations and be just as comfortable there as you are there. Yep. And that's core wrong. confidence. Yeah. And I don't know that many people that are like that, but I do know some people that are. Yeah. In any situation, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how bad it is. In fact, without going into names here, but there's there's a dude that I know that like can, you know, he'll open for me. He's not a comedian. He'll just go up on stage and then just keep talking because he's just like lost where he is. Like he'll go on radio. He's fine. He goes to like a party full of randoms. He's fine. The other day he was at a myth house for like two days and he's not a myth head. But he was around really scary, unscrupulous people. One of them was an insane asylum escapee. They escaped from an insane asylum. And he was there for two days. 
Yeah. I wouldn't if if I walk right, I, right. I I would look at the crack house and just keep walking. Well, we are, I think we have an ability to uh sense the inner workings of other people based on their presence. Hmm? In the same way, you know how they say animals can are a good judge of character. Yeah. I think humans can be as well. But you you got the rational brain in front of you that kind of just mars that. That's true. That's true. But there will always be an element of the emotional brain that is connecting with the person on on you, that more. Uh, you can get more tuned to it. Yeah. Yeah. But and there's a YouTuber uh, that I, I can think of off the top of my head who is who would is the perfect person to define core confidence actually. Do I know them? Yeah, yeah, you know them. Yeah, uh, I do know them. I do know who you're talking about. <laughs> yes. See? Another perfect example of that. So, and you know what else, actually? When you meet said YouTuber. They never turn it off. It's not a... No. It's not a different persona that you see on screen to what you see off screen, whereas almost all the others... It is. Fuck. It's amplified. It's slightly. It's okay. It's slightly different, but not to the extent where it's an obvious persona. You know what it is? He's using performance as a tool. That's the difference. Yeah. So he already has the core confidence. He already has um, everything necessary, right? But he's just adding performative skills to his repertoire. Yeah. And on top of that core confidence, that is that's a killer combo, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty lethal. Mm. And it goes back to the phrase walking through life with ease. Yeah. Like that guy gets into hairy situations, but he does walk through the life with ease. Yeah. Like it's I mean, look, define ease, but I'm I'm just saying no matter what situation he's in, he's fine. So hmm. damn, this has actually made me think about confidence very differently. I'd have to go back and listen to that conf uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we may have just reiterated a lot of points that was <laughs> probably just exactly the same. I People just think it's a rerun. You know, I really just wanted to re explore it because I didn't uh I probably didn't grasp the significance of something that I would have deemed as simple as charisma. And what, maybe a year later, now I'm just suddenly thinking about it a lot more. And I think it's also just a byproduct of the fact that I'm no longer just a character actor. I have all these other different arms of my career now. And a lot of that is just being myself and talking to a camera. And something I've definitely gotten better at. But it's not something I'm as competent at in yet as I am with character acting and sketches and stand-up. So yeah, good good chat. I really think that a huge element that you can use as like a test of how charismatic you are in a situation is just asking yourself how much am I enjoying this moment? Yeah. You know if what? you're enjoying the moment, I think that you would be coming off as more charismatic than someone who is not. Well, you, I'm enjoying this moment. Are you enjoying the moment? 
Yeah, man. Like, I love this pod. There you go. But again, that's hopefully just situational com- confidence. Hopefully that comes but- out on the... <laughs> In the audio or the or the camera, but uh, um, let's conclude that one there and let's finish on a on a question. How do you feel about that? All right, soccer tours. <laughs> okay, so this will be the third question. I'm going to answer, and this one comes from Jackson Lindblom. He's from Queensland. Shout out, Jackson. That boy, Jack. Um, okay, this one is definitely a question for you, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the future of the Labor Party is? And can Jordan touch on his get-up style organization he's looking to start up soon? Because I think that will change the game when it comes to youth voting. Thanks a bunch. Social media shout out. Okay, follow right. follow him. It's at Rip Title Music on Instagram. He makes dance music. He said, I make dance music, lol. <laughs> so, that's rip tight r-i-p-t-i-d-a-l music on instagram thanks for the question jackson what do you well I, I could have a little bit to say on that as well but first let's get your this is definitely your area of expertise what do you think is the future of the labor party jordan more or less what it is now i think it'll always just be in second place get very narrowly in or out every election and i think that they'll just be in there for about 30 percent of the time but what i'm hoping is that if you are able to just because man, we're really talking about just a few seats here or there it doesn't really matter if the libs are ahead in the polls by you know 54 percent, 56 percent. what really matters is winning a few marginal seats because what has happened over the last few elections is that Australia has really solidified into this majority for the Labor Party in the cities and in rural areas, Libs Nationals have a super majority. That's where the stakes are at the moment. Didn't that recent state that that recent um, there was an electorate where they had a by election, Eden Monaro was it? Yeah. Where Labor Labor won that. That's mm. a rural seat, isn't it? I mean, look, Labor has some rural seats, yeah. But primarily, but not enough. Okay. And it's the same thing with the Libs. They do have seats in city areas, but they are becoming more and more sparse. It's really becoming the absolute richest of society that vote for the Liberals and the poorest. And then the middle ground votes for the Labor Party. It's really, it's actually quite interesting how... It is. Uh, probably, the, has that ever shifted. happened in history where the richest and the poorest vote for the same party? Yeah, I mean, look, it definitely does. Okay. Uh, but it it shows that the dynamics of who's poor has shifted in this country. Yeah. Because the poor class used to be the working class. But I think the poor class now is just like, you know, your meth heads, your farmers. Uh, <laughs> Can't imagine the <laughs> meth heads were ever the rich class. <laughs> but like, there's there's there seems to be this... This underclass that you can say is a working class, but not working class in the old way of like working in factories and stuff like that. Yeah, they that's like the work in like, you know, BPs and they yeah. work in McDonald's and they have those kinds of jobs now. That's the poorer sector of society. The middle class, the educated class is obviously voting for the Labour Party and obviously the super wealthy are voting for the Liberals. And also, you know, when I say the wealthy also like the upper middle class seems to be voting for the liberal party as well yeah but what it's it's strange and actually howard identified this he was saying 
what started happening during his period as Prime Minister is that the core voting block of the Labour Party actually shifted. And it was because of the Labour Party because they kind of moved jobs in this country to being more service-based than manufacturing because it was all just part of liberalising the economy in the 80s. But he was saying that their core constituency had become the public service. <laughs> He's saying wow. like bureaucrats are heavily... It's like like ACT every time always goes Labour. It's very rare for the Liberals to win ACT. Well, makes sense, doesn't it? Because... They're more likely to keep their jobs <laughs> yeah. if they in, in power. But I'll also say this, and I honestly do think this. Dude, I'm sorry. I've just done too much research on this. It's because they are in the public service and they know what the government actually does. Whereas, like, the rest of the society, pretty much the only ways that they have fucking interaction with the government most of the time is kind of just like, oh, fuck, I have to pay my taxes. Oh, fuck, I need to get rid of you know? But if you're in the government system, you understand what your job is and what the scope of it is and what they're actually dispensing. I think that that's the reason that they've shifted. Do you think there is uh, a precipice, not just with the Labor Party in Australia, but with a lot of the uh, uh, major, I know we don't like that paradigm, but the left parties in the Western world where they have to choose between appeasing the more socially progressive middle and upper middle class constituents versus the uh their traditional voters who are much more socially conservative yeah and and, and want more protectionism and uh, uh less immigration well i mean look i really don't want to get into this because i will get fucking eaten alive in the comments but please just understand i'm right i know what i'm talking about yeah okay I've heard this from too many insiders, but pretty much the way that the Labor Party loses elections, there's a two-pronged attack here, but it's all feeds into one another, and I'm always blaming the media for it, and I still think the media is the major contingency of it. Well, it definitely is, but the other thing that is genius that has happened is that the political class in alignment with the ruling elite have realised, like, because if you look at it, the Labor Party wins most of the votes out of any... Usually, like, almost invariably, the Labor Party will, will win the most amount of votes of any party. So then you'll say, well, yeah, what about the coalition? But remember, that's two parties that together combined win more votes. But Labor wins more than Liberal. Labor obviously wins more than Nationals. They have to join in a coalition to beat them. But the other thing that they don't mention... And this is the thing that the Murdoch press does really well is conflate the Greens with the Labor Party uh -huh. to their audience. And they're constantly doing this. It's this Pavlovian thing of just like Labor and the Greens, Labor and the Greens, Labor and the Greens. And they're trying to get that into their audience's head uh -huh. because the Greens are really unpopular with the vast majority of Australia. And so they want to give them this idea that the Greens are sort of the national party to the Labor Party. If you talk to people in Labor and the Greens, they probably hate each other more than they hate the Liberals. Okay, right? So, that, so it isn't. But that you know, that surely the Labor Party is still generally more socially progressive on cultural issues. Yeah, nowadays at least. Well, then the, the Liberal Party. Look, it's, again, it's just like. 
it's such a weird, murky territory because, I mean, Malcolm Turnbull was a massive cuck, you know? I guess you can say, like, Tony Abbott was, you know, like a, you know, a Chad or whatever. But, like, dude. <laughs> well, hang on. No, I'm not talking about just... No, but, like, their being... policy. Like, you know, like, right, Section yeah, 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 yeah. B16 or whatever the fuck it was called. Like, I yeah, can't yeah. even remember now. It was so long ago. But, okay, you know, like, Malcolm Turnbull would always be the one sitting there just saying, you know, like, he'd be like, I wanted yes vote and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, uh-huh. the Liberal Party has those people in it. The Labour Party has those people in it. But when you get to a major party like that, there's so many differing opinions in it because it's just such a large monolith of people. Monolith isn't even the right word. I hate this phrase, but broad tent. It yeah. has to be when it gets to that point. Really, it depends on who the press is highlighting. So the press is constantly highlighting the cucks in the Labour Party and not highlighting the cucks in the Liberal Party, Right. But they do, they definitely exist in both. But aren't there general party policy positions, regardless of what the individuals might think, that the, the, there's a platform for that party? Yes. You can definitely say that about the Labor Party. Um, they, they, they'd have more of a position of that. But I think that when it comes to the Labor Party, if the policies in general that the Labor Party is extolling to the general public, was allowed to go out into the press instead of just no one. Because, dude, it's really scary. You know, like with Jody McKay or something like that, the fucking treasurer got up and was just like, only a comedian wants to interview you. You're a joke. As if that's like a bad thing. She's essentially saying that the opposition leader in this country is so shut out of the press that she's not even allowed on to 2GB to state a case. You know, they, they just... They'll give her some airtime here and there, and they'll just ask her a bunch of hitting leading questions. Yeah. But they'll be constantly interviewing nationals. They'll be constantly interviewing the liberals. Mm. It's all part of the system, right? But, like, okay. when what's, what's really happening is that, like, yeah, what you're saying there is that One Nation, Clive Palmer's party, the Greens, all of them eat away at the Labor's at the Labor Party's vote from all different like you know political paradigms, right? Whatever you want, whatever phrase you want to use, but like you know, Greens are eating away at the progressive vote, and like you know, Clive Palmer's really just eating away at the dumb shit. It's a bit like One Nation is eating away at the you know common sense brigade or whatever. Th- these parties are taking away just enough votes, and it's very clever just enough votes from the Labor Party to keep the Liberal Party in power. And so, as a result of that, these parties get financed by the people that finance the Liberal Party. And the reason that they do that, like I'll give you a classic example, in Tasmania, in the last election, the Greens, and it's all because of political operatives that happened here. Like, Let me just give you a quick history of the Greens because I'll be doing this in a video recently. But like the Greens... When Bob Brown was around, great. Really pro the environment. Love Bob Brown. You know, he he gave trees a voice in Parliament. I think it was well overdue by the fucking eighties. Yeah, like, there, someone should have been sitting there saying like, maybe we should not be bulldozing Brazilian level land. You know, yeah. that was great. Then what happened is the Australian Democrats collapsed. The Australian Democrats really collapsed because on their phrase of, again, because it started off by a guy that was decent, but then political operatives come in that just want a cushy job or whatever. They collapsed because 
they kind of just became this redundant joke that was corrupt and was just filled by the filth of Canberra that neither the Labor or the Liberal Party wanted. They then thought, fuck, where do we go? They went into the Greens. So the Australian Democrats' operatives and machinery moved into the Greens, professionalised it. You now have a position now where in Tasmania, one of the main senators, I can't even remember his name now, but he was used to work for the IPA. So the Liberal Party's think tank, he was one of the key policymakers in the IPA, never voted not liberal in his entire life, then all of a sudden realised, fuck, I can get a seat really easy in the Senate if I just turn to being a Green. Okay, I'm a Green. He gets in. There's not the, uh, you know, party... Why'd they let him in? Because there's just not the party infrastructure there to stop it. Like, the Greens aren't that organised and it's designed to not be that organised so that you can just get these kind of operatives in there, right? So that's what's happened to the Greens. So the Greens now really are this kind of coalition and it's just like i can give you a million examples but i won't just breeze it and i know that's going to have like way more arguments in the comments but the thing is it's kind of just this nice uh coalition now of insane people and really machiavellian chess movers in parliament What has happened? Now, I'll give you the example of Tasmania, but you can transfer this to Queensland. You can transfer this to New South Wales. It's pretty much the same gameplay every time. Queensland is just a great example. Tasmania is just a great example. In the Tasmanian election, they were running for pokies. Uh, Sorry, the the Greens all of a sudden started pushing the Labor Party on pokies. It was like, what are you going to do about pokies? You've got to do something about pokies. Now, the Labor Party's position always is just being like, let's just leave fucking pokies alone. There's bigger fights. They have enough power to sink a government because it's gambling, especially Mm -hmm. in the States. Let's just leave it alone. But the Greens were able to push and wedge Labor into the position of saying, okay, we'll ban pokies if we get in. Why? Right? Were they threatening their preferences or alliance if they said you don't do that? And we got it. We can't spend too long on it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just that's one of the tools. There's many tools that they use. Then, then what happened is you know the Greens can sit there and be like, yeah, yeah, we're going to ban pokies too. Yeah, that's all well and good. You know what actually happened? The, the the these gambling conglomerates, like these gambling unions, essentially started flushing the Greens' campaign with money. Now, why did they do that? Because they knew that the Greens weren't going to get enough votes to gain government, but they could do enough damage. They could campaign in enough Labor strongholds that Labor had to divert resources and money into fighting Labor stronghold seats. So they couldn't put that money into fighting battleground seats. So the Liberals just trounced them with money and flushed them out of those seats. So you see the operation yeah, okay. that's happening here to the Labor Party. Essentially what is happening is it's just getting eaten off, just a little bit here and a little bit there, and there is very clever operatives sitting there being like, no, we'll just put this much money into the Greens, we'll put this much into One Nation. Clive Palmer's obviously just a fucking wild card that's thrown in, but that's how they are able to keep... That's a big element of how they're going to keep the Labor Party out of power. Okay. Anyway, that was the answer. Okay. And then, <laughs> no, that's all good. And then his last thing, well, I guess just touch on this really quickly... Can Jordan touch on his get-up style organization? He's looking to start up soon. Oh, yeah, dude. Look, I'm going to have to ask you about this because I've been thinking about it, but I'm going to have to call it this. I mean, look, if you want to say no to it, you can. But, man, can I please call the organization the Common Sense Brigade? (laughs) Oh, I'll have to think about that. Let me think about that because... 
Look, you take your time. We got 50-50 IP. On the, uh, you did come up with it, actually. I will say that. So No, but yeah, I came up with it on this pod. I just can't think of a better idea. I can't think of a better name for it. It's just such a fucking funny meme. And you know what? It will probably um, get people on board who otherwise wouldn't ever uh, be on the same side as Don't you that. think that's the genius of it? Like, like don't you think that, like, funny. okay, if you just come in with, like, some wuss name, like, Get Up or something like that in Queensland, they'll just be like, what? Fuck off, orange, that's close to pink, and then close the door. Yeah. And if you just come in in a white T-shirt that has in black, just being like, Common Sense Brigade, everyone wearing no fear sunglasses, just being like, get the facts, cunt, facts over feelings, and then just leave. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Um, I'll let I'll, 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 I'll let you know on the next podcast. How about that? You you think we'll about have to think about that. You think about it, but that's that's what I've, that's pretty much as far as I'm going into that. But pretty much, I do want to start a get up that is actually not pussy and sits there and just goes like, oh, yeah, maybe you can vote for the Greens. Labor's not that great. You can vote for an independent. You know, like maybe I don't know. You're just gonna have to figure out this fucking maze that we've written on the back of this card here. Fuck off, dude. I just want some some group to walk around and just be like, dude, this is the difference between a Liberal and Labor government. We are talking about a thousand species going extinct if the Liberals keep getting elected. I just want that. Anyway, that's it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's all good. Um, thanks for the question, Jackson. It's uh, a reminder before we wrap up this podcast, if you want to subscribe neilcohacker.com slash podcast. And we're nearly finished all the uh, subscriptions, right? Oh, so good the, for you the fifty dollar ones there's only I think like three left. Wow. And we'll do the first uh, full uh, podcast based on a subscriber suggestion soon enough. And with the ten dollar ones there's I think maybe ten left or something. So um thanks guys and um get them if you if you haven't already because they're they're going out the door. And thank you for everybody who already Take has subscribed. That's very nice of you. And then there's also the one, two, and three dollar subscriptions. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, thank you very much. Subscribe if you haven't already. Give us a share on uh, whatever social media platform you use, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>